The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, grant us your spirit and your grace, your favor as we look together into your word. Here on the South Campus and together with the downtown campus congregation on this live stream, speak to us. I I do thank you for your sovereign, merciful work in gathering your people, in Christ building his church through the centuries of which we are now a part. And we pray that your work would go forward through us as Bethlehem Baptist, this little church in time and history, all for the glory of your magnificent name, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, yes, my name is Kenny Stokes, and I'm the pastor for church planting at Bethlehem and The aim this morning is to be one of the, it's actually one of several Sundays that will focus on God's grace on Bethlehem, and this is the the first of the series where we'll think about God's grace in the area of church planting. So Bethlehem's going to be 150 years old, actually in June, and uh, we're just stretching out the birthday party all year long in order that... in order that this, this past grace, future grace dynamic would be ours and build our faith. In other words, we would reflect on God's faithfulness to us in the past and praise him for it and thank him for it. And then that reflection on his past grace would give us confidence and hope and courage to step into the future, the present and the future, to trust him to do likewise and give us future grace. So that's really the... The hinge that's in my mind as I stand up here. The conversation between Peter and Jesus in our text has massive implications for our salvation, for the church, for missions. And yet I'm going to key in on on local church planting as our focus this morning. And and to get right at it, let's ask the text three questions. Uh, Who, uh, what, and how? Who, what, and how? So first question. Who builds the church? Who builds the church? Jesus says clearly, verse 18, I will build my church. I will build my church. It's unambiguous. It's crystal clear. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, builds his church. And we can reflect on that. Eternally, God, the Son, was with God the Father uh, from the beginning. He's the one who builds the church. The one through whom all things that have come into existence came into existence. He's the one that builds the church. The one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. That Jesus promises to build his church. The Lord Jesus who gave his life for us and who rose from the dead and is is risen and reigning over all things for the glory of God and for the good of his church. He says, I will build my church. I mean, it's huge. Jesus' promise here. Jesus doesn't make a promise like this 
to build a, a school or a hospital or a denomination or a church planting a network or a parachurch ministry or even our nation. There's only one promise like this in the Bible. I will build my church. And so just step back and observe the who behind the promise. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God who promises to build this church. Second question. What? (laughs) What? What is the church? I will build my church. The the word church in in Greek is just an ordinary word for assembly. There's nothing religious about it. There's nothing special about it until Jesus starts using it and it takes hold in the New Testament. It's, It's just the word assembly, but what makes it unique is I will build my assembly. <laughs> Jesus' assembly. Jesus' church. And, and just to give you a quick theological context of the word church, the, the, the word church in the, in the New Testament is used in two ways. It's used as the, what we call the church universal, and it's used as what we call the, the local church. So universal church and the local church. Just a, a couple of words on, on each of those. Regarding the, the, the universal church, here's a description from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. He says, he describes the, the universal church this way. The universal church is the community of all true believers for all time. This definition understands the church to be made up of all those who are truly saved. Eternity past, eternity future, Forever. See how it's universal church. All believers of all time, everywhere. And I think most directly, that's what Jesus is talking about here in our text. I will build my church. I will build my universal church. And uh, he's not merely referring to a church in Lakeville or in Minneapolis, but to his global church for all time, predestined before the foundation of the world to belong to him forever. And yet, at the same time, the Bible, the New Testament uses the word church in the sense of local church. A church in a particular place, a gathering of believers who, who covenant in Jesus' name to worship him and, and encourage and build up one another and, and to spread his name and his fame from a particular local gathering. And, and those gatherings that we call local churches Uh, are marked by a devotion to the apostles' teaching and the gospel and preaching the the word of God, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and being led by qualified, by biblically qualified leaders. And Jesus uses the word church in that sense in a couple chapters later in, uh, in Matthew 18, 17. So both are referred to by the word church, the the universal church and the local church. So how ought we to think about these? How how ought we to put these together? I think it's very simple. Christ's local church that gathers in time and in a particular place is made up of believers from Christ's universal church. The universal church doesn't gather until heaven doesn't gather in one place until we're in the new heavens and the new earth. But the local church, the expression of the universal church, right now, right here, gathers in, in localities all over the world, 
all the time. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Jonathan Lehman, I, I got a kick out of this quote, so I have to read this. Jonathan Lehman from, uh, from Nine Marks Ministry writes this about the, the connection between the universal church and the local church. He says, If our belonging to Christ's universal church is real, it will show up on earth in real time and space with real people. People with names like Betty and Saeed and Jamar. People we don't get to choose, but whom God chose. But who step on our toes and, and, appoint, and disappoint us and encourage us and help us to follow Jesus. I like that quote. Just kind of the complexity of the local church. Hmm. So, Jesus says, I... Jesus himself will build my church universally with concrete expression in local churches throughout time and history. How? How does Christ build his church? Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers in Matthew 16, in Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And some of you might know there's a word play going on here in, in the original language. Jesus Literally says, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. So the name Peter comes from the word rock, and the word rock comes from the word rock. (laughs) So you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. So Jesus, which is it? Are you saying you will build your church on Peter? Or the other way to take it is Are you saying you will build your church on the Petra, the rock, mainly Peter's profession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? So, Jesus, which is it here? And I think the best answer is both. I think the best answer is both. Let me tell you how I put it together. On the one hand, Peter's the Petras. Uh, his name sounds like rock. Peter's the Petros. Peter preaches his first sermon in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost and declares Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is Lord and Christ. And the crowd from all over believes and, and Christ builds his church on Peter's profession of who he is and 3,000 are added to the church that day. So, and, you know, as I think of it, 3,000 are added to the local church in Jerusalem. And since these people are from all over the world, the seeds of local churches all over the world are planted, have begun. Christ is building a church all over the place from that one sermon spoken by Peter. And as the history of the church unfolds, we, we see 
It's not just Peter, it's the other apostles. And then it's others who speak the, the apostolic witness of the apostles that builds the church. Uh, it, and that's what we see in Acts 2.42. Not, the, the, the early church gathers, and, and it's not, and they were devoted to Peter. No. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching in, in Acts 2.42. And so the beautiful thing is, as the history of the church unfolds in Acts, and even to this day, uh, chapter by chapter, you see the apostolic teaching going forward from Peter and from, from Stephen and from Paul and from all kinds of preachers and faithful believers through the centuries, and Christ is building his church as the as the foundational truth, the gospel, the apostolic teaching is spoken. That's the rock on which Jesus builds his church. And so Ephesians 2.19 says it this way. It might be helpful if you're still kind of dangling on how Peter, Peter fits in as the rock. First uh, Peter 2.19 says it this way, that you are built, being built up, you church, you believers, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So there you have it. The apostles, foundational, in that they speak the apostolic witness of who Jesus is. They speak the gospel, and thereby the, the church is built. That's the how. That's the how. So why did... Why did Jesus add this piece? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why did he put that there? Get the picture. Hell has gates on it. People apart from Christ are locked in in unbelief and sin and spiritual blindness and they cannot get out they're dead in their sins dead to stay in the gates Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church the gospel spoken <laughs> the gates are open and 3,000 people are added freed from the gates of hell in one day in one sermon. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus says this because he admits, he acknowledges that there is an ongoing, relentless, spiritual battle going on between unbelief and salvation in Christ Jesus by faith. And I tell you what I did. I, I just kept reading in the book of Acts and, and observed the promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this sermon could have been a lot longer. Uh, I, I got all the way to chapter 14 and I had to stop because I knew it wouldn't even fit. So I trimmed her back to nine. Just, just, just let's just chapter by chapter kind of just look into how this promise plays out in the book of Acts. Acts 4. 
Peter and John are arrested for pro- proclaiming Christ. You think, okay, setback? No. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Acts 4.4. 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000 now. And after they were released, the Spirit granted all the church boldness to speak the word of God. Arrest, setback, gates of hell will not prevail. Acts 5, a satanic conspiracy is exposed. A married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, agreed to lie about their offerings to the church. And they they lie to God and they lie to the church. They sold some property and they said, yeah, we're giving all the money that we got from the sale of our property. And it's a lie. Peter confronts them. And Ananias drops dead on the spot. And then Peter confronts his wife, Sapphira, and she too drops dead on the spot. And you think, verse uh, 5, chapter 11, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And you think, okay, are the gates of hell kind of squeezing in the church? Are they so fearful? No, the gates of hell will not prevail. Acts 5.14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. These two people just dropped dead in church. (laughs) Christ continues to build his church. More and more people. Freed from the gates of hell. Acts 6. I I don't even get to jump over any chapters. (laughs) Acts 6. Ethnic tensions arise between the Greek and Jewish believers. And incidentally, we know, we know this, to this day we know this, ethnic tensions will not go away here in Acts 6, but they'll continue to be addressed theologically and practically in the epistles. And to this day, the Greek widows are, are being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. The Jewish widows are getting the food, the the Greek widows are not. And so the complaint comes up to the apostles. And the the apostles appoint seven presumably Greek Greek men, full of the Holy Spirit, to oversee the distribution of food to the widows so that discrimination doesn't happen. And you think, okay, ethnic tensions in the church. Setback? No. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Acts 6, 7. And the word of God continued to increase. (laughs) And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests even became obedient to the faith. You get the pattern? (laughs) Acts 7. After a long, provocative, sharp stick in the eye kind of sermon from Stephen, he's stoned. He's martyred. The first martyr. While Saul, the Pharisee, looks on with approval. That's Acts 8.1. And that sparks a great persecution against the church. And believers are scattered. All out of Jerusalem because there's so much trouble there. And you think, setback. But but you know what I'm going to say? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Acts 8. Four. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
<laughs> For instance, the Apostle Philip preached in Samaria, and then he preached to an Ethiopian eunuch, a, a court official from Ethiopia, at an intersection, because the Holy Spirit said, why don't you stand in that intersection and see what happens? And uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from Isaiah, and Philip explained the gospel to him, and he was saved, and presumably went back to Ethiopia, and Christ was building his church there. And as for Saul, you all know Saul, Saul, the great persecutor of the church, met face to face with Jesus. Jesus gave him a new name, Paul, and he became the greatest missionary church planter in church history. X, where am I? I stopped there. <laughs> I just stopped right there. Keep reading at home. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, good night, think of it. We're here because of the reality of that promise. I want to think about the planting history, the reality of that promise as it relates to Bethlehem. You know, this is our 150th anniversary year, and uh, let me tell you, you probably know this, you might not, that Bethlehem was planted out of First American Baptist Church of Minneapolis, now called First Baptist, on the west side of downtown Minneapolis, down by Hennepin and 10th. On June 22, 1871, the church commissioned 22 Swedish members to plant a new church with a mission to target the influx of Swedish immigrants coming to Minneapolis. First Swedish Baptist church was then established. Our church is, has been an, an immigrant church. Then after World War II, since the church was no longer merely a Swedish-speaking immigrant church and out of a vision to reach the wider city, the name of First Swedish Baptist Church was changed to Bethlehem Baptist Church. And uh, the name change came in 1946. Now, I, I don't remember when I started doing this. It just seemed like when we were planting churches in the last 20 years, it would be a good idea to, well, two things, to, to write down the, the names of the churches, write down what we're doing, keep track of it, but also to knit it into the bigger story. You know, because in the, in the gospel story, God's been, God's been starting churches for 2,000 years. And then in the Bethlehem story, what we're doing wasn't new at all. But to knit it into the story of the 150 years of Bethlehem. And so what I did on, in this document, in fact, you can go online and get this document wherever I have it. Uh, this document entitled The Church Planting History of Bethlehem. Basically, we just started that, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, just to keep track of, of the history as we knew it, to build it up. It's, it's online. Uh, there's a link on the church planting page. And also, by the way, it's on the display out there in the, in the commons. Uh, there's a display for church planting. It just depicts this church planting history and these four phases of church planting history that I'm about to mention. So it just seemed to make sense to break it up into four eras of church planting. 
And let me give you the titles of those, and then I'll say a few things about, about each one. Four distinct eras of church planting at Bethlehem. Number one, the early years, 1871 to 1980. Probably could have been broken down more, but, but for the sake of brevity and focus. Ten churches were planted in those 109 years. Basically an average of one new church each 11 years, if you just do the math. Second era, I called it the new vision, 1980 to 2002. 22 years, six churches are planted. And so now down from a new church every 11 years, it's down to a new church every 3.5. Third era, treasuring Christ together era, 2002 to 2015. It's 13 years. How many churches? 16, one every 10 months. Present era, fill these cities, this vision, this prayer goal that we have to uh, do several things, but in relation to church planting, plant 25 churches by the year 2025. So we're five years into that. We've planted 12 churches and we're on a pace of planting a new church every five months. This is the grace of God on Bethlehem. And there's nothing new about it at all. I mean, it was in the DNA of Bethlehem when it was first Swedish Baptist Church. And let me tell you about the early era. These early years, this first 110 years, just a sampling. The first church Bethlehem planted. I say Bethlehem planted. You got to know this is, um, you know, like Paul says, I worked harder than all the rest, yet not I, but the grace of God was in me. I say Bethlehem planted, Jesus planted Jesus built these churches. And, and Bethlehem is the means of planting these churches. First church, 1879. Bethlehem sent 29 members out to plant first Norwegian-Danish Baptist among the growing Norwegian and Danish immigrant populations in Minneapolis. Uh, the church it was in South Minneapolis called Powderhorn, Baptist, Powderhorn Park Baptist Church. Uh, 127 years of ministry. And you understand why these ethnic churches are happening. Language. Language. After 127 years, the, the church closed, and before they closed with their nine members, they voted to sell their building to us for a dollar. And you know what I could say to them at that time? I don't have a church planter right now. You have my word that I will see to it that a gospel-proclaiming church comes into this building. And they said, good enough, dollar. Right now, Jubilee Community Church, one of our church plants, is there, has been there, along with uh, Jericho Road Ministries. And I am so happy. And a few of the elderly people who were left at that church became enfolded into Bethlehem. 1888. I I love this story. A group of faithful Swedish women gathering in a sewing society in North, northeast Minneapolis, uh, along with other members of Bethlehem residing in the northeast, desired to see a church outreach form to that part of the city. You know, because Bethlehem was a long way away for Swedish believers for <laughs> at that time. So they thought, why don't we pray for a church up here? An Elam Baptist church was born February 21st, 1888, with, get this, 55 members coming out of Bethlehem. 
to plant that church. I'm going to breeze over some. It's really hard for me to breeze over some of these, especially the more recent they get, but I'm going to breeze over some. 1949, Wayside Chapel uh, was established, and Bethlehem sent the member, the church member, Reverend John Lundberg, to lead the congregation, along with $500 distributed in, uh, what was it, in eight chunks, $50 a month. That Wayside Chapel became Wooddale Baptist Church in Richfield, which became Wooddale Church in Eden Prairie. Or 1971. Did I say that right? 1949, Wooddale. I was afraid I said 18. Uh, 1971, a Spanish-speaking church was born in our building, downtown Bethlehem, which then moved out. Um, First Evangelical Baptist Church began. Okay, second era. I called it the new vision. The new vision. Six churches in 22 years. In 1980, the church, Bethlehem, which was an aging congregation, voted to call Pastor John Piper to to be their senior pastor. He had no pastoral experience and no extensive plans or programs, but he, he aimed to teach the Bible, and he had vision. And before long, the vision was such that was refined and was such that almost everybody in the church could say it and could own it to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about some of the churches. 1988, Laotian Church of Peace began to meet downtown and actually now it continues to meet on the north campus. In 1996, Steve Treichler, who was teaching the young adult Sunday school class on the downtown campus, uh, came before the elders with a vision to plant a new church for the the students on the University of Minnesota campus. And the way he describes it, I don't know if you know Steve Treichler, he's a pretty funny guy. He says, I went to the elders of Bethlehem and said, hey, I'd like to take these 13 people to go plant a new church. And they said, ah, it's way too many people, you can't take them. And the the elders (laughs) relented, took the... 13 people, and actually he says 13 was about the right number. And that church, now it's a long story, but was, by the providence of God, they meet one block from the downtown campus, and they're running the same number of attendees as Bethlehem downtown is, pre-COVID. So, that's Hope Community, and they have their own church planting legacy that they have have, uh, begun. 1998, Celebration Community Church was commissioned, led by Jim and Raquel Bloom, to minister to the urban poor in Minneapolis. 2000, Sovereign Joy Fellowship was sent out with a vision for a a cell group church, a cell group ministry that would multiply around the city. Okay, that's it. Third era, the Treasuring Christ Together era, 2002 to 2015. 16 churches in 13 years. It it was in the TCT era, the Treasuring Christ Together era, that the DNA of Bethlehem church planting became most clear. What's our DNA for church planting? Well, our vision for church planting is not about 
franchising. It's not a strategy like expanding a a chain of fast food restaurants like Chipotle. You walk in and there's that corrugated steel on all the walls and the menus are the same. And that is not our strategy for church planting at all. So if you go to our church plant, don't expect... Don't expect the same menu. Don't expect the same sermons. Don't expect the same songs. I mean, there are church plant strategies that say, I mean, they basically tell the church plants what songs they're going to sing. We, we don't do that at all. Don't expect the same ministry. Don't expect the same strategies. Expect the same vision of God localized under the leadership of local churches for the particular context in which the church is. Um, let me tell you the DNA of Bethlehem, um, Bethlehem Church Planting. It can be summed up in three points. I, I actually say this a lot. I say, people say, what kind of churches do you plant? I say, well, we plant churches whose elders embrace the mission of Bethlehem to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. Number two, we plant churches whose elders gladly embrace the elder affirmation of faith. And number three, we plant churches whose elders think and lead and and think about the conspiracy between that mission to spread a passion and that doctrine to think about how those two come together to flesh out a life of a church. And, uh, And we expect that that mission and doctrine will shape worship, prayer, education, mutual care, witness, racial harmony, or ethnic harmony, compassion, missions, leadership, and legacy. That's it in a nutshell. You can read more about it on the website. But that's the DNA of Bethlehem Church Planting. I explained it to one of our friends at the time. I said, well, we're going to be about a doctrinally driven church planting effort. You know what he said to me? He said, it'll never work. (laughs) I said, well, we're going to die trying I have shown this one video clip of Pastor John Piper preaching in in 2010. It's actually a moment similar to this. And uh, it's January 2010. And it's on the same text that we're on this morning, in part because it was so shaping and motivating and powerful and faith-building for our church planning work that I had to go back to that same text. So I want to share with you what he says and, and honestly, I show this in every one of my basic church planting classes. Just, just click in and, and see Pastor John say these things. Here it is in the manuscript. He says, well, someone might say, we plant churches because we love so much about Bethlehem. We want there to be lots of Bethlehems. Well, you need to know that that's not the way my heart works. I say this instead. We have a great God, a great Savior, a great gospel, a great vision of God's sovereign grace. And we want to see more and more incarnations of this in local churches. But there are so many weaknesses and so many imperfections and so many cultural limitations to Bethlehem, I'm not eager to see her replicated. (laughs) Rather, what I dream about is more and more incarnations of the vision and the theology without the same limitations and imperfections. What the world needs is not the replication of our imperfections and limitations, but new sets of imperfections and limitations 
if we could multiply enough churches with different strengths and weaknesses, then the sum total would come closer to meeting the crying needs of the world. He goes on. So I have no rosy picture of our beloved Bethlehem. She is precious to me beyond words. And all the more because she has been about this mission of church planting for 139 years and will continue to be in the future, I pray. I hope you love this history and will be committed to it in the future. So in this era, this Treasuring Christ Together era, um, there was a significant boost in church planting Uh, Not only in the planting of churches, but the vision to gather the churches planted into a network that would literally treasure Christ together to mutually strengthen each other and um, and to to start and and strengthen one another. So the treasuring Christ together is a large grace that God gave us in this era. And uh, the other grace God has given us is... uh, There's a church planting concentration in the seminary curriculum. So students can choose the church planting concentration and graduate with it. And they would take four classes, uh, most of which I teach. And uh, that's been a big blessing. New churches in the TCT era. I'm going to have to go fast. Uh, Desiring God Church of Charlotte planted with the providence of Billy Graham closing its Minneapolis office, opening a Charlotte office, and 10 or 12 people from Bethlehem were going to move down there. Hey, maybe that's an occasion. There's more. Uh, several of our, our, our TCT churches were, our TCT era churches were planted by our church planting residents, like Grace Church of Memphis, planted by Jordan Thomas, uh, uh, Glory of Christ Church, planted by Charlie Handren. Kaleo Church, as you saw Tim Kane in the video, uh, planted by, uh, by him in Al Cajon, California, outside of San Diego. Urban Harvest in North Little Rock. Christ Redeemer in Woodbury. Redemption City Church in Grand Rapids, all planted by our residents. Two of the plants in that era were planted by TBI. Some of you don't even know what TBI is. The Bethlehem Institute was a precursor to Bethlehem College and Seminary. Two of the plants came from TBI graduates, Treasuring Christ Church of Raleigh, where Sean Cordell and uh, Kent Capps banded together to plant, and now Sean Cordell is the executive director of the TCT Network. And then Waylon Leach was another TBI grad who uh, came to to, uh, do a revitalization at the Heights Church in St. Paul, doing well right now. Five of the churches in this era were planted by our pastors or elders. Jubilee Community Church, led by John Erickson, former youth pastor. New City of Nations Church, aiming at, at refugees, not refugees, at immigrants, uh, people, internationals who are here, led by Eric Hyatt, our former missions pastor. The City's Church, led by David Mathis and a team of leaders, David being one of our elders, and City of Joy Church, pastored by Kempton Turner, our, our youth pastor for 10 years. No, seven years. So where do we get our planters in that area? Everywhere. Uh, 
through, through, through just networking from residents, from graduates of the Bethlehem Institute, and even from our own staff. Last era, fill these cities, 25 by 25. We are at the midpoint of our prayer goal that God would give us grace to plant 25 new churches by the year 2025. And, and by the grace of God, not by, not by sleight of hand or anything, nothing clever here, but we're, we, God has given us grace to plant 12 churches at this point. And uh, l- rather than review the 12, let me give you the last three that were planted, or that were approved last year at Bethlehem. So the last three of those 12. The elders approved Diodine Tamfu to plant a new church in Yaoundé, Cameroon. And uh, part of the vision is to establish an extension site of Bethlehem College and Seminary there. And Tom Steller, longtime pastor at Bethlehem, is partnering with him in that work. The elders approved Elliot DeLorme and Andrew Sheard to plant a, a new church in Henniker, New Hampshire. You're going to say, never heard of it, right? There's a college there of about, uh, what, 1,200, students, New England College. Um, just partnering with a the church there. There's that, that's the place that they're targeting. They both moved in over the summer, and they're moving toward planting there in Henniker. And then uh, Tom Boyer was approved last year to plant Emmaus Church in White Bear Lake. And I'm almost embarrassed to say, in fact, I probably shouldn't say to any church planters, so, so James, plug your ears. They went to public services in June, and they moved into their building in January. I mean, new churches don't get buildings that fast. But God had mercy on them, and they're in a beautiful little church building in White Bear Lake, kind of perfect for the vision that God has called them to. So that's, those are the last three. Currently, we have two church planting residents. Um, James Leckler, who, who just spoke, who is partnering with Gijo Joseph of Campus Outreach to plant in San Diego, and uh, Marshall Posey, uh, North Campus church planting resident, to plant in the northwest suburb somewhere around Champlin. That's the vision there. So pray for grace for them. Pray that, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The obstacles are many, and yet we know and believe that God has many people in these various cities. So, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, we're going to go to the Lord's table. And, uh, I mean, I think you know this. It's just basic Christianity. How remembering is so much a part of our faith. I mentioned the thinking about God's past grace and being thankful and praising him and how that's like a hinge for trusting him for the present. And uh, the most powerful verse to see that is uh, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him Graciously give us all things. So have confidence, Bethlehem. Have confidence, church. God did not spare his own son for you. 
He gave his son for you. He has loved you from before the foundation of the world and Christ died to, to gather you into his people that you'd be part of his church. And he will, since he's done that, fret not, fret not. Step into today and tomorrow with all confidence. Since he's done that, he's gonna be faithful to you, each one of you, and faithful to Bethlehem in the future. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word. And I do pray as we gather at the table that uh, you would grant this grace of remembering. That's what you say, Jesus. You say, do this in remembrance of me. So we remember at the table that you gave your life for us. And I pray we receive the elements with faith and confidence of all your past grace to us and all your promised future grace to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.